0: Thank you for listening to this message from Valley Bible Fellowship. It is our sincere prayer that you're richly blessed through the ministry of the Word. For more information about VBF, visit our website at vbf.org. Thank you, Gennaro. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. I don't even feel like I'm a guest speaker. I feel like I'm here enough to be kind of part of the family. Uh, Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Vicki and I, we we spent our first 36 years of our life here uh, before going to Colorado and now in Las Vegas uh, with ministry. Uh, One of the things I really miss about Bakersfield is the Kern County Fair when it comes around every year. Oh, man, such great memories. You used to go to it, uh, like you, if you've been here for a while, every year and go out there and you smell all the good food and the baked potatoes and the corn on the cob. And when you're a kid, you like to go through the carnival and... Uh, Kind of scarred though from one of the attractions there. Anybody go to the House of Mirrors at the Kern County Fair? Do they even have it anymore? I don't know. I haven't been there. Weird, weird. You, you go in there and it just all kinds of different shapes it makes you and different angles. In fact, here's here's a picture of a lady that went into the House of Mirrors. Look at her. Yeah, she she looks like a combination of Adele and Uh you go into those things feeling good about yourself and come out kind of questioning things. And, you know, the, the reality is, is that the view that we have of ourself and is sometimes skewed, just like going into a house of mirrors. We either think too highly of ourselves, oftentimes, or, or maybe we think too lowly of ourselves. But it's really important how you view you because it really does set the course for your life. Let me give you an example of, of how important it is to think correctly. Uh, as General said, I played professional baseball for uh, 10 years, and uh, one year I was up in Vancouver, British Columbia, and we would carpool, the te- uh, teammates did, and I was carpooling with a man by the name of Randy Reddy. Now Randy Reddy, uh, this was his third year professional baseball, and the previous two years he was the leading hitter in each league, great hitter. But here it is, end of May, you know, third of the season gone, and Randy Reddy is not hitting well. He's just, just not having a good year. And, and yet you would think he would be depressed, but Randy had this kind of cocky, almost arrogant little attitude about him, confident, and he was the same. And I, I one day asked him, I said, Man, how can you be so happy and you know cocky as <clears throat> you know you normally are? You're not having that great of a year, man. No, you feel the pressure, and he goes... I'll be there, man. See, it's only a third of the season. Wait till the end of the season. You'll see. I'll, I'll be there. And man, did that make an impact on me. See, I would have been freaking out. I did freak out oftentimes. If I wasn't doing well, it would just get to me. But Randy had this view of himself that, hey, I'm a good hitter. At the end of the year, I'm going to be where I typically am, at the top of the leaderboard in hitting. And guess what? He was. He was. That's where he ended up. And, man, it, that changed the course of my career. I began to think about the abilities that God gave me differently and really helped me. Now, I want to encourage us, as we are still kind of in the beginning of a new year, it's still January, to maybe think differently in some areas of your life. Again, how you think, it really does set the course for your life. Now, I'm not talking about making New Year's resolutions how many of you are resolution people? How many of you made a New Year's resolution? Don't, don't think bad if you did. That's fine. Uh, not many of you. it's well, probably wise. Uh, here's why. Because only 9% keep their resolutions for a year. So if you made a resolution, for, you know most likely you're not going to keep it. 23% of people who make resolutions, they quit by the first week. 43% will quit by the end of this month. So if you're going to make a New Year's resolution, make one that you have a realistic chance to keep. Lower the bar. All these lofty resolutions. I'm going to lose 300 pounds this year, or you know, I'm going to make a gazillion dollars in my business this year. You know, It's not even realistic. See, I don't make resolutions, but if I did, here's one I would make, one that I know that I could keep. I would resolve that I'm going to eat more Mexican food this year. Because I know there's a very good chance I'm going to be successful in that resolution. <laughs> Rather than trying to change your behavior by resolutions or by actions, it begins first with changing how you think. And I want to give, give some of you an opportunity to think differently in 2024. I think it really will uh, make your life better. See, what is in your head and comes out of your heart produces actions and behaviors, good ones and bad ones. For instance, King Saul, the first king of Israel, had it in his head that young David was trying to take his throne, and so Saul said, I'm going to kill him before he kills me. And that couldn't be further from the truth. David wanted no part of trying to take Saul's life. In fact, David had the opportunity, if you know the story, to take Saul's life and didn't do it. But in Saul's mind, he had it. He's trying to kill me, so I'm going to get him. And so that wrong thinking, that wrong view, caused him to really become a murderous maniac. King David, on the other hand, when he was just a teenager... Something happened while he was tending dead sheep. A, a lion and a bear came. And, and David probably had a lot of time on his hands with his little sling. And, and he was, he was practicing. And he killed a bear and a lion with his sling protecting dead sheep. And so when David showed up at the lines, uh, when the, uh, Israel, the Jews were fighting the Philistines and the big giant Goliath was taunting people, David said, hey, I've got faith. That I can kill this. Nobody else wants to fight him. I've got faith. Why? Because God had prepared him. He had had faith in the heart. He believed that he could take down that giant because he had giant faith in the ability that God gave him. See how that changes things. What is in your heart will spill over into your daily living. Jesus says, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Now, I'm titling this message, A New View of You, and just like when I begin to think differently about my baseball career and how it led to more success, I'm hopeful that this message is going to help you have the best spiritual year that you've had to date, okay? And so, let me just give you some ways I think that you can think differently that will help you uh, in this upcoming year. Here's the first one. One mistake doesn't define who you are. Oh, this is so key. One mistake, it doesn't define who you are. The apostle Peter, he made a huge mistake that nearly destroyed him because he wasn't thinking correctly. We read about it in Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, this is around the uh, table as they were having a communion, uh, the last supper before he was to go out and be arrested. Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter replied to him, even if they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Peter. Oh, I'm sorry, let's go on to verse 34. Guys. Yeah, Jesus said to him, truly I say to you this very night, before a rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And here's something that a lot of people miss. All the disciples said the same things as well. Poor Peter takes this this rap alone. Everybody says, you know, Peter's the one who boasted that he never denied the Lord. Well, so did everybody else. Peter's just the one that was highlighted here. But as you know, if you do know the story, he would eat those words, Peter would, just A few hours later, we read about it in Luke chapter 22, verse 54. Now, they arrested him, Jesus, and they led him away, and they brought him to the house of the high priest, but Peter was following at a distance. After they kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter was among them. And a slave woman, seeing him as he sat in the firelight and staring at him, said, This man is with him as well. But he denied it, saying, I do not know him, woman. And a little later, another person saw him and said, You are one of them too. But he said, Man, I am not. And after about an hour had passed, some other another man began to exist, saying, Certainly this man's with him too, for he too is a Galilean. Stop right there for a second, guys. He's a Galilean. We, we identified him by his language. The Galileans, the northern part of Israel around the Sea of Galilee, they had a unique dialect. It was called the Galilean Aramaic, Uh, uh, yeah, the Aramaic language, and it was very distinct. It would be like here in America if somebody walked in here from Texas and began to talk. You would know you ain't from around here, although we kind of talk like that here in Bakersfield too, don't we? Let me use something else. Uh, maybe somebody came from France, uh, and they began to speak English, and they had kind of a, a French-English dialect to them. You'd say, hey, you're speaking English, but it's a different type of English. We, we haven't heard that much around here. And the Galileans were known by their dialect, so his language was given him away. And then we go on here in verse 60. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, right after that statement... While he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. And can you imagine this? And then the Lord looked and turned at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him, before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Imagine that. All of a sudden, you make, you, you make that last statement, man, I don't know him. And a rooster crows, and all of a sudden, you know, you look up, and there's Jesus' eyes looking at you, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, my gosh, It happened. I said I wouldn't, and I did. And he went out, Peter did, and he just wept bitterly. Almost lost him. Remember, he went went fishing and said, I'm done. I'm washed up. I failed. And he went back to the fishing business. And had not Jesus gone after him and restored him, we would have lost Peter, one of the key pillars of the early church, because he was going to let that one mistake define him. Now, I, I struggled with a major mistake while we were in Colorado. Uh, just to make a long story short we, uh, short, we we built a beautiful building and then end up giving that building back to the denomination. It was just a, was just a bad deal. And, and I felt so guilty that I didn't handle that thing properly. I felt so bad that our people put money and time into building it, and now we only had it for three years. And it, it was just a very rough time, and it nearly destroyed me and i just felt such guilt of that mistake and yet did peter's one moment of cowardice did, did erase all the times that he stood up for the lord i mean hey peter was a guy that in the garden of gethsemane when they came to arrest him he's a guy that stood up for jesus took the sword and and whacked off the guy's ear peter was the one who answered jesus question correctly by saying who do the people say that i am and he says hey they say that you're this, but we say that you're the son of God. And Jesus said, boy, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, Peter. Did my one mistake in Colorado, did that nullify all the good that Vicky and I did the 11 years that we were there? Think about that. The mistake that you've made, okay? Yes, you're beating yourself up over it. Yes, it's caused some pain. Yes, if you could, you'd wind back the clock and you'd do it differently. But does that wipe out all the good that you've done before then or, or after then? Do we want us to just stay stuck focusing on that one mistake and just kind of just paralyzes you for the future? We can't let our mistakes define us. God is the God of men and women who have failed. You have to get that. He's the God of men and women who failed. How many have failed here in life? How many have made mistakes in life? Well, good, then God's your God. What if God was only the God of perfect people? He would have no people to be God to. The Apostle Paul, same thing. He didn't let his mistakes define how he was going to live his life. Look what he said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Now, not that I've already grasped it, or have already become perfect, but I press on that I may take hold of that which I was even taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and I reach forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I think my baseball career on one hand, hurt my spiritual life because it kind of bred pride and bred arrogance and, and, you know, thinking, you know, I'm, I'm special. But on the other hand, I think it was really good for my spiritual life because it helped me to learn with failure. See, in baseball, you're constantly failing. Even if you're a good hitter in baseball, you're a failure, because if you hit 300 in baseball, that's kind of the, the mark for success, uh, batting an average of 300 or better. That means that for every 10 at-bats, uh, you get three hits. But that also means that you have seven times that you're out. You're failing twice as much, more than twice as much, as you're being successful, and yet they tell you to be successful. But how do you deal with the seven times when you're not? It just really is kind of mind-blowing. You, you, can, you can be 0 for 4 one day. And then you can be 0 for 3 the next day. So in two games, you're 0 for 7 thinking that my life's coming to an end. I'm no good. And then the next game, you go 3 for 3. And after three days, what are you? You're 3 for 10, so you're a success. But you were a failure for two days. So it just kind of makes you crazy. Own up to your mistakes. Make things right with God and others and move on. As painful as it can be to make big mistakes, if we can learn from them and experience God's forgiveness and grace, they can be a positive force in the long run. Okay, Here's the next way to view yourself differently in 2024. Who you are and what you do are two different things. Who you are and what you do are two different things. Again, the Apostle Paul, I think he was probably the most godliest believer, leader in the New Testament. This guy was just this holy and sold out and committed and yet, look at his struggles. Romans 7:15. See, see if you can identify yourself here. This, is coming, this isn't coming from you know some new Christian. This is coming from the Apostle Paul. He says, "I, I don't understand what I'm doing. I'm not practicing what I want to do. <clears throat> I'm doing the very thing I hate. However, if I do the very thing I don't want to do, I agree with the law. That law's good. The problem's not the law. The problem's me. I'm the one doing it." Sin dwells in me. For I know that good doesn't dwell in me. That is my flesh for the willingness present in me. I want to do good. I wake up saying, I'm going to do good today. I'm going to serve God. But the doing of good is not. For the good I want, I don't do. But the very evil that I practice, the very thing I said yesterday that I'm not going to do again today, by noon I've done it twice. Verse 20. But if I do the very thing I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but the sin that dwells in me. Paul says, man, here's my problem. I'm born again. The Spirit of God lives in me. I'm a new creation in Christ. I know that, but I also got old Paul. I've got old Doug here. I've got flesh. And, man, that flesh sometimes raises and rears its ugly head. And I do some stuff that I thought I was way past doing. I thought this was out of my life and son of a gun. Here it is again. And it's very frustrating, isn't it? Isn't it very just discouraging? It doesn't make you want sometimes want to just, just pull your hair out. And I cannot believe I did it again. There have been times in my life, and probably in yours as well, that if you didn't know my past and didn't know who I was, you would think, there's no way that guy's a Christian. I pray for that guy. That guy needs to get saved. <laughs> you you, there have been times in my life in the last 20, 30 years where I was probably as bad as, as, as any person out there. I'm not talking sexual immorality or anything. I'm just talking temper. I'm talking just discouraging, just this hatefulness in my heart. See, I, we're carnal at times but we're committed followers of Christ, aren't we? I'm willing. I'm wanting, like you. I want to fight my flesh. I'm sick of my flesh. I want the Spirit of God to live. I'm tired of what it's done. My flesh has been no friend of mine. My flesh has just, just nearly destroyed my marriage. It, it, it potentially could ruin thing with my kids when I lose my temper. My, my flesh is no friend. I'm willing to fight it. Most of the time I win. Sometimes... I lose, but my standing with God is not based on my performance. It's based on my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not judged daily. I'm not judged daily. Thirdly, I'm not a victim, enslaved to my circumstances. Think differently in 2024. Don't take on a victim's mentality. Oh, I know some of you have had tough things happen to you, and I, I oh, you, you women that. I've been abused, molested. I feel for you. I, I feel for. You. I wish. I wish I could change it. I wish I was there to defend you, but I can't. And it happened. You guys that were brought up in abusive homes. I. W- I wish it could have changed. I wish it didn't have to happen to you, but it did. Can't change it. But maybe this will give you consolation. Some of the people in the Bible, they achieve great things with tough upbringings. Moses, basically given up for adoption, set out in a basket in the Nile River, raised in a foster home, and yet became a great man of God. David, King David, living on the run for years. Why? Simply because God chose him to be the next king of Israel after King Saul. David wasn't looking for it. David didn't ask for it. And yet he was on the run, living out in the desert. And David had to sometimes think, why? why? I didn't ask for this. Why is this happening to me? Stephen, the first martyr, killed just for sharing the gospel. Methhebasheth, Jonathan's son, King Saul's son Jonathan, his son Hebesheth, fell off a horse when he was a young boy, went through life crippled, dependent upon others, I had to say, why me? It's not fair. Why me? If these are the type of questions that you have, let me offer you a better way to look at your circumstances in 2024. What if you believed that as painful as it was, as unfair as it was, as sinful and evil as what happened to you, what if you could believe that God could take that, redeem that, and use it to cause you to fall deeper in love with God and to be a light of hope to other people. What if you could believe that? What if you believe there's a master plan for your life, that things weren't happening just randomly, that God allowed, as evil as it was, God doesn't cause it, but he allowed it to happen, and that he has a great end in mind for you. How, How would you change that? How would that change how you thought that maybe... God let this happen because he wants to use me. This is going to be part of my testimony. This is going to give me a heart of compassion for a certain group of people that I would never have compassion for unless I had gone through something similar. Maybe this is why. I read the other day something kind of cool. Moses spent 40 years in Pharaoh's court finding out he was somebody. And then he spent 40 years in the wilderness finding out he was nobody. And then he spent 40 years finding out what God can do with somebody who realizes there are nobody. you so just say, Lord, you know what? Hey, whatever's happened in the past, just, it's, it's just all gone. Just use me. The apostle Paul came to this place. Paul, Paul just came to this place saying, hey, you know what? I'm just trying to follow God. I think I'm on track with him. And so where I land, I just got to believe that God's in this thing. Philippians 1, what a great story here. Verse 12, Paul says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So that my imprisonment, he was in a Roman prison, in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the praetorian guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brothers and sisters trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Paul had voiced several times in the book of Acts and then Romans said, I want to go to Rome. God has told me I'm to go and I'm to stand before Caesar and I'm to share uh, the gospel with them. And, and he longed for it. People tried to talk him out of it and said, don't go there. It's bad. They're going to kill you. Paul said, I don't care. man. I I want to go there. I want to go to Jerusalem. I'm supposed to go to Rome and share the gospel. And I'm going to go there and I'm going to preach. I'm going to have massive audiences, he probably thought. And then all of a sudden he finds himself in a jail in Rome. And he had to be, initially had to think like, this isn't how I thought this was going to turn out here. And yet, as he was chained to the guard, he was... Kind of, It's kind of like a house arrest, this, this Jill sentence. It wasn't straight on prison. It wasn't straight on Jill. It was, yeah, he was confined, but it was kind of like a, a, a house arrest. Uh, he could have visitors come to him and food brought to him, but he was chained to a Roman guard for six hours, six-hour shift. Then a new guard would come in. OMG. Can you imagine being an unsafe person chained to the Apostle Paul for six hours? Do you think you're going to hear about God a little bit? And as Paul would get to know these guys, probably didn't initially just tear into them, but just got to know him, share with them, and eventually spiritual conversation would come up, and then it would continue the next stage when this guy's shift. And who knows how many people the Apostle Paul brought to the Lord. And then what would those people do? They would go... And then they would share their faith with people. And all of a sudden now the gospel is spreading through Rome. The very thing that Paul wanted was happening, but not in the way that he thought it would happen. Hello. God is doing something in your life. God is answering prayer in your life, but not the way that you thought it was going to happen. Receive that. Receive that. See that there's something else going on. Ask God. Say, God, have I been looking at this thing wrong maybe? Not only were the prison guards getting saved, but the saints there were being emboldened. Paul said, hey, man, I'm in prison and still preaching. I'm okay. So they said, hey, you know, Paul's you know, not downcast in prison. We're going to preach God, too. If we go to prison, so what? Paul's there. And it, the church is being built up. People are being saved. See, God closes doors open new ones, and he uses circumstances, even unfair ones. That's a part of his plan oftentimes. I saw this saying recently that kind of sums up this point. Never be a prisoner of your past. It was just a lesson, not a life sentence. It's just a lesson. That's all it was. Lastly, different way to think this year. My success in life isn't determined by my wins and my losses. This is a terrible way to live. On, on achievements, saying, okay, man, everything's going good. God's blessing me because I won. Oh, man, life's no good because I lost here. Up and down, up and down. I, being an athlete, man, I struggle with that because everything to me is, is, is in those days, was, was win or lose, success or failure. And I remember driving home from Vancouver, Canada, back here to Bakersfield, and just dreading coming home to see my family and friends. Why? Because in my mind, <clears throat> in my mind, I had a bad year. I was not a success. And it wasn't even right. I had, a, I had a pretty good year, but in my mind, it wasn't as high as I thought it should be. And so that affected you know, my, pers- my uh, countenance. It affected my happiness. I've, I've carried that over into ministry for the last 37 years. Hey, if you've got a bunch of people in your church, you're a success. If the church numbers are down, you're not. If you got people that come up after your sermon, oh great sermon, oh man, good. <clears throat> if nobody says anything to you, oh, it's probably a dud. And, and so you, you just—it's just a crazy way to live. For years, this is how silly we can think. Now I'm in Vegas, and you think I'd be over but but a few years ago, I'm, I'm stressed. and say, oh, man, we're not growing like we should. We're, we should be bigger than we are. We're in a big city. How come the church isn't bigger? We've only got like six to 700 adults in, in the church. And, and then I was reading this article today, day, and it says that a study showed that only 4% of churches have between 500 and 999 people in weekly attendance, the range that we're in. Only four percent. So, so we're like in the top four percent of churches in America. Well, that's a, you know. Now I feel like it's success, but I said, wait a second. You're right back to where numbers mean you're successful. Bad numbers. It's just a crazy, crazy way to live. God doesn't view success on wins and losses. You know how God views success? Faithfulness. Faithfulness to Him and to the calling that He's placed on your life. Raising children, being a husband, being a wife, being an employee, serving here in the church here. That's what God says, success. John the Baptist, what did Jesus say about him? Among men, he's the greatest man ever born among men. John the Baptist, Well, who was John the Baptist? Well, he was a guy that poorly clothed, he wore a camel's skin jacket. I'd be like, just like a basic Levi jacket, didn't dress real nice. He had a horrible diet. He ate grasshoppers, couldn't even afford a decent meal. His followers were, were the, the, the lower people of society. He died in prison alone. And this is the greatest man among women? Why would Jesus say that? Because he was faithful. He was faithful to do what God called him to do, a very tough calling. End up getting his head chopped off because of standing up for Jesus. Let me end. If you will focus on being faithful to God in 2024, God will be very gracious and generous to you. Oh, I, I, I can testify to that. I end with this story. Vicky and I were in Colorado and uh, young church, growing church, but young church and didn't have a lot of money there so we weren't able to get raises and yet my kids were getting to become teenagers and of course needing cars and insurance and everything's more expensive when your kids get older and and we were we weren't making it and so it's kind of distressing my finances and and I did what any man would do when, when the going gets tough with finances I went fishing <laughs> so Seth, Seth and I are were down fishing at this lake and and, uh, man, I'm, we're just one after another. We're just reeling them in. I'm, I'm using this bait, actually, that I, I bought here in Bakersfield. Uh, I guess these Colorado fish never seen it before, and they, they were just eating it up. But, man, we were going through these baits so fast, and I ran out and said, man, i got to order more. I, said, I don't got money to order these things all the time, and expensive. expensive. So I, I said, I, I bet I could probably make these things. So <clears throat> I looked into how to make plastic worms. And so, so I, I bought a kit and, and made them, and man, they, they caught just as many fish. And I thought, I, said, well, I wonder if anybody would ever want to buy these things. And so I went to a bass club. You know, they have these bass clubs around town. So I went to a bass club, and I said, hey, I got some free samples. I said, uh, I, may, I make them, you know, here, take them. If they catch any fish, here's my number. Call me, uh, you know, if you want to buy some. And man, two days later, this guy called, Oh my gosh, <clears throat> those things are awesome. I want 500 of them. I'm like, What? How much are you selling them for? And I made up some figure, you know. And so that started a business that I called Loman Soft Plastics. I started a worm business in Colorado Springs. I'd work at the church during the day. And then at night, I'm out there pouring worms in my little molds. Vicky was working with me. She was, she was, uh, I would pour them and, and she would pull them out and salt them and put them in bags and everything. And uh, a friend of mine said, Hey, I got a better name, better than Loman Soft Plastics. Uh, call it I've Got Worms. I said, I don't, that doesn't, I think that's a great marketing strategy, I've Got Worms. But see, we, we were being faithful to the calling in Colorado. And God was being faithful to Vicki and I by providing the finances that I've been praying and looking for. You focus this year on being faithful to God and you watch how God will bless your life. Just, just just, focus on him. Let's go ahead and stand just for a second, if you would. Father, go ahead and stand. if you. Lord, we just want to stand before you. And Lord, we we want to say thank you, God, for all that you've done for us, Lord. Thank you that, God, you've brought us through some really tough situations. Thank you that you've forgiven us of some horrible things that we've done. Thank you, God, that, Lord, you know our future. Thank you, God, that, Lord, if we have a need in the future, God, you'll meet that need. And, Lord, we want to just commit ourselves to you in 2024 to think differently, God. Lord, if, if we will think differently, we'll act differently, God. Help us to be people in 2024 that are people that are grateful, appreciative for what we have. Help us for people that, that when we're going through difficult situations to trust you, to just say just faithful, 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 faithful. If we'll be faithful, we'll be fruitful. Help us, God, to be people, Lord, that trust that, God, that there's a master plan for our life, that things aren't just happening willy-nilly. But, Lord, you're in charge that you have a good end in mind. Oh, Father, help us to do an inventory of ourself and say, God, is this why this happened to me? Is this why my life path took this turn? Is it because do you want me to minister to a certain group of people? Is this why I have a heart for these people? And, And what am I to do with that? And so, Lord, In 2024, God, we we just uh, uh, offer ourselves to you. I pray, God, for the people here. I pray this is the best year of their life. I pray, God, that and and, and that doesn't mean it's going to be a year pain-free. It might be the toughest year circumstance-wise, but spiritually it might be the best year of their life. I pray for the best spiritual year of this church's life. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. If you need prayer, these folks are up here. Love you. God bless you. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message has ministered to your heart. If you don't already have a church you call home, we invite you to join us at Valley Bible Fellowship for worship, Bible study, fellowship, and more. We're at 2300 East Brundage Lane in Bakersfield, California, near Mount Vernon and Freeway 58. Reach us by phone at 661-325-2251 or visit our website at vbf.org.